0: Welcome to episode 17 of the curiosity game. I'm Michael Leary. I'm Jordan
1: Fisher. Today we have Clara Brown One of the most badass people I know source of great inspiration who has a really cool story went from a really
0: serious accident Chasing Some Olympic Dreams. We owe our listeners an apology. This is about an hour long, and it should have been like three. Yeah, a lot at, of at least three. Uh, we also
1: dive into a
0: little close-to-home adventure. Jordan
1: just wrapped up the 4x4x24. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting listen. Probably a bad idea. Uh, <laughs> uh, we talk about gummy bears. We do talk about gummy bears. So thank you to Clara for jumping in. we go all right so morning, morning. More. <laughs> i slept well last night despite having a baby uh, but rumor has it you did not sleep well why is that
0: well i <laughs> i decided to uh uh kind of undergo this uh david goggins style running challenge oh yeah which as a side note probably simulates very well the experience of having a newborn in terms of the <laughs> sleep schedule uh, Buckle up, buddy. <laughs> yeah, right. Because that's coming down the pike soon. Yeah, any day now. So uh, what I did was I uh, every four hours ran four miles, and I did that for twenty four hours. All right. Every so, four hours, ran four miles for twenty four hours. So I ran four miles at noon. Yep. Four miles at four. Okay. At eight. At midnight. At four a.m. and at eight a.m.
1: So. All right, totaling twenty four miles yes. in a pretty short window.
0: Yeah, uh, what was the best part of this whole thing? Um, probably the the four four a.m. run. Yeah, um, sun's just starting to peek out. You know, uh, birds are waking up. It's like a it's a cool feeling to be there at that transition from night yeah. to day, and especially to get to run when yeah. that's happening is like a very nostalgic thing for me. Uh, so I liked it. Awesome. It, it got like some of the feel of like an ultra marathon kind of race. Um, but I'm not ruined for the next week. Yeah, you know? I love that. So,
1: and it's it's using the current quarantine times to find an adventure and have some fun without really having to adjust your schedule all that much.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you could do this in your around your block if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd I'd probably. be willing to say you could probably even do this on a regular work day.
1: Probably. Like if you had regular <laughs> work hours that you could then take a, an hour break,
0: crank out a run. Yeah. I, I, that could be the next layer of the challenge. Can yeah. you do this from, like, Wednesday to Thursday All right, instead? I'll jump on that, this That sounds pretty you. awful. That's all you. I'm not
1: interested in that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, rumor has it you did this with somebody else. Most of the runs
0: were alone, but you did link up with somebody. Who is that? that? Uh, so this would be the infamous uh, Kim Fisher. Previous very, guest on the that's, podcast. That's right, our listeners may recognize. So we each did the challenge from our own respective corners of the city mm-hmm. and then kind of linked up... Um, After or during the 4 a.m. Yeah, so nice little boost there. Yeah, it was good. Very very cool. It was good. How much
1: running did you do before this?
0: Zero. (laughs) Um, These I have run uh, more miles in the past 24 hours than I have all year. (laughs) Count it. Yeah. Very healthy approach, but sometimes you just gotta do it. (laughs) Not advisable. (laughs) Well, the the sort of quote unquote real version of this is the same sort of rep scheme, but for 48 hours. Yeah, I kind of decided that you know, volume wise, yeah. <laughs> that's probably not a fantastic idea. Chop it
1: down a little. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Twenty-four yeah. hours is still no joke. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Was there uh, any time where you were doubting your decision to do this?
0: Yeah, a little bit. The midnight run was bullshit. Yeah. um You know, because at that point, it's it's just like circadian rhythm stuff. You yeah. know, I'm like sound asleep normally at that point and it was pretty tough to lace the shoes up and go with the headlamp. It got cold overnight. and yeah. It's like, kind of, why am I doing this? We're rolling but. out of a warm bed into a cold night. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But the, the cool thing about it is four miles is just not that – if you run a little bit, yeah. it's just – you can crank it out. Yeah, You know, and it's, it's over in half an hour to 40 minutes. Yeah, you're back in along. bed for three hours and then rinse and repeat. Kind of. It's actually pretty hard to sleep. Yeah. Because it's like, I would get back from the run and I'm sort of feeling good. I just had an adventure. You know, right now I'm Brighton Avenue at midnight. It's a little <laughs> weird. Um, so I didn't get a ton of sleep. Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah. I always like that. You get home from some adventure.
1: And I mean, if you have the car ride home after something in the mountains, that helps to like downregulate. But if you do something around town, you get home and you're just like, all right, I know it's sleeping time, but like, maybe I'm going to clean the house. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go work in the
0: yard. like, <laughs> you know, Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And to your point, this is a great one to do where like, yeah, I got a bunch of stuff done around the house. It wasn't, you know, the sort of night shift was pretty rough, but aside from that, it's not super disruptive. Yeah, totally. So, and that's one of those things
1: personally, and I know you're in the same boat where I love those big adventure days or long weekend adventures, but realistically right now with a baby and you're having a baby any day now, it's one of those things where you have to get it where you can. So like we've started doing a little more mountain biking and doing some mountain biking and a trail running and all within like the confines of a smaller training block. Yeah. And like this is a perfect example of that you can find adventure locally wherever you are in whatever time capacity and domains that you have.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the cool thing about this little 4 x 4 by 24 challenge thing um, I don't know if it's like for me, a wise way to train for anything, yeah. um, but a good chance to, uh, kind of get uncomfortable. Um, so almost like, like rehearse mindset, like okay. how do you handle the midnight run when it's really bullshitty and you don't want to be doing it, you yeah. know, just being able to get good at turning things around cognitively yeah. when you're not feeling so great. Yeah. You, you don't, you can push yourself in those situations without some gigantic adventure. And it's so true. I tend to always jump to the
1: gigantic adventures for it to seem like quote unquote worthy, mm-hmm. but it is these little close to home adventures and like big training days or just like where you are that like badass dad or whatever, where it's like you'd go from, you know, you wake up early and get some work done and then you get into like a short adventure with friends and then you're back to being a dad and then like she's napping and you're out doing something else and like. It's that, that you're like, okay, one, this is how I want to raise baby, but two, I can still get my fix in. Yeah. And it very much is looking at like, all right, I can still mentally keep myself sharp in the durability game by
0: doing this. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. And it has a lot of carryover too. If I can turn it around at a terrible midnight run. Mentally, I can hopefully do that when the baby's screaming and morning. Changing time will it. tell. I'll, I'll report back I'll later on that. that but. We'll have to do another little
1: <laughs> a short to see how it's actually going. Uh, there will be plenty of good time stop for, to test that theory <laughs> yeah, out. Sure, I can yeah. assure you that. <laughs> it's coming. Uh, well, that is awesome. Well, what if we leave this here since we are gonna jump on a podcast with a pretty cool girl who has Man. an amazing story, Clara Brown. I'm so, psyched for this one. Let's do right. it. All right. Yeah. Three, two, one, boom. boom. Welcome back to episode seventeen. We're 80% sure. Definitely 80% sure we do this up a so. few times. Uh, of the Curiosity Game. I'm Michael Leary. I'm Jordan Fisher. <laughs> and today we have the one and only Clara Brown. Clara, thank you for being with us.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: So as we always start on the Curiosity Game, we want to thank our sponsors. Right. Jordan, do you have a
0: sponsor? I got. I have a repeat sponsor. I don't all know right. if that's allowed or not. Um, we'll let that go. All right. Listen, I am once, once again, possibly for like the eighth time, sponsored by the Leary household. Um, for, for reasons we've discussed... Black I strolled in the front door. i running about like 40% capacity right now. Yeah. Um, but this this cup of coffee was all I needed. As his hand so. shaking. Yeah. Because uh, for context,
1: uh, Jordan just finished the four by four by 24. He ran four miles uh, every four hours for 24 hours and took a shower and took a shower and walked through the door. So dumb. we're oh wow yeah giving him some caffeine Respect. yeah. yeah. Uh, I have a sponsor, new sponsor uh, oh. that I'm bringing, uh, Tractor Supply. They've been out oh. of stall mats for like 16 years because of this quarantine. And for those that are aware, I'm building out what is going to be the dopest home gym ever. Uh bold and stall claim, mats stall <laughs> It is a bold claim. Uh, stall mats are a pivotal piece. And I finally was able to lock some down and go get them yesterday. And Hell they yeah. charged me full price. So, perfect. And made me a load on them themselves. So, really, sponsor coming <laughs> through. It's um, <laughs> the so, worst sponsorship I've ever heard. It is the worst sponsorship. Uh, so, Clara, who do you have for a sponsor?
2: I'm tried and true, always sponsored by Albanese Gummy Bears. They are uh, my favorite candy ever. And i that's a pretty like, bold statement because so I love candy. And I've been trying to get them to give me a lot of free gummy bears over my short career and i've only been successful once so i just figure i'll blow them up on any channel i can and hopefully they'll They'll come through
0: i think it's baller you got free gummy bears (laughs) yeah
2: Yeah. i mean i went through like 25 times with free gummy bears
1: wow (laughs) that's pretty good you also know that you are a gummy bear aficionado. When, you, If you look up Clara's Instagram, which we may or may not have done, it's right the first thing you read is skis, bikes, and gummy bears. <laughs> so, I
2: mean, you have to stay true to who you are.
1: I yeah. love gummy bears. Absolutely. So Clara and I have known each other for quite some time. Uh, we worked together for a long time, years ago now. Um, and we wanted to have you on because you have probably the most inspirational, not probably, you do have the most (laughs) inspirational story (laughs) and you are the most badass person I know. Uh, do you mind sharing a little bit about your story and and how you got to ending up where you are now, which I won't give the spoiler away for where (laughs) you are now?
2: (laughs) Sure. Wow. That's very flattering. Thank you. Um, yeah, we have known each other for a while, so we met must have been while well, I was in high school. Yeah.
1: Um, your sophomore or junior year maybe sophomore at high or junior
2: year. So so before that even happened, I was a competitive athlete growing up and um just really loved being active and outside. So I grew up playing sports. I was a runner. I skied on the weekends and I was into gymnastics as well. And so I kind of chose gymnastics as my main focus uh maybe age eight, eight or nine and spent about 20 hours in the week training and was pretty serious about it and then when I was 12 I had kind of a fluke accident at practice and um landed on my head I broke two vertebrae in my neck and damaged my spinal cord so um I was fully paralyzed shoulders down so below my injury level without any you know knowledge of what would come next you know with spinal cord injuries they're pretty they're just also different depending on how you're injured and where you're injured and so i was you know faced with the possibility of not walking again and potentially you know other lingering effects and so i spent several months just rehabbing at a spinal cord specific rehab center in Atlanta, Georgia. I was hurt in Maine where i grew up um, and then was transferred to this specialty hospital. Um, and then, several months after kind of relearning how to walk, and I was very fortunate with what I was able to recover, I encountered another kind of big obstacle. My hip, my left femur had lost blood supply. So I basically was unable to wait there on that leg because the bone was collapsing out from under me. So I endured kind of an experimental surgery at the end of. 2008. I was hurt in March of 2008 with my neck injury. And then I had the surgery on my hip in end of 2008 and it failed. So basically, I was in a wheelchair for a few years waiting until I was done growing and had a hip replacement at the age of 15, which solved the hip issue. Um, but I still had a lot of lingering nerve damage on my right side with um, my motor movements. So that's mostly in my right leg and arm, so all of my limbs. Uh, and I just really wanted to get back into competitive sport. And I ended up meeting Michael, like I said, probably sophomore, junior year after I transitioned out of physical therapy, but still really wanting to strengthen everything that I had that I had returned and He helped me work on balancing. So like my right side, as I said, is a lot weaker. So he would help me like make sure that I was strengthening the right as much as I could to have it equal the left. Um, and we had a lot of fun. It was great. He was very creative in helping me do nice develop job, exercises. Right. and
1: We did have fun. Yeah. That's the one thing, too, that I remember <laughs> the most is that, like, you had the odds stacked against you in so many capacities, but you were more driven than literally any person I've ever seen. So, like, you oh. would never waver in your determination. You'd always be there on time, but you'd also, like, your the look that you had and the way that you would go at it was the most impressive thing because you were just completely focused on whatever the task at hand was regardless of how it was going
2: yeah that's true there were a lot of there were a lot of exercises didn't go very well (laughs) you're like let's try this and then my tricep doesn't work so my arm would just fall in my head but yeah you know we got through it Um, yeah, so after high school, well, throughout high school, I was a coxswain on the rowing team. That was kind of my first return to competitive sport. So the coxswain is the person that sits in the, the rowing boat with the crew and directs them and uh, steers the boat, keeps them motivated, keeps them together. They're not actually rowing. So that was kind of a good introduction for me where I still was pretty physically impaired and not moving around very well. Um, and I loved it. I really had a great time. I did a high school team as well as Cox and masters crews, and then continued that into college for a few seasons. But just at that point, I was really looking to a sport that I could do you know, on my own, my own physical accord. And I was getting back into skiing at that point. So I thought, why not buy a road bike, see if that's something I could do. And I had a huge help at Psychomania in portland um one of the owners took a few hours one afternoon and helped modify my first bike and took off from there i really loved seeing where i went to school i was living in washington at the time and it was a good way to get out off campus and get some solid you know fitness gains oh yeah <laughs> And then worked for a bike touring company after college just because I I sought bikes out again. And um, it was there, I was leading a trip from Charleston to Savannah, so on the East Coast. And one of my guests worked on the Paralympic Advisory Committee. So he and I got to talking and he was like, oh my gosh, you'd be the perfect candidate for Paralympic sport. Like, you're active and you have this impairment and... You know, have you ever thought about it? And I was like, no, not really. Like, I don't, I don't know much about it. And he just sent all of these emails and was like, you need to meet Clara. She would be perfect. And then within three weeks of that trip ending, I was at the Olympic Training Center for a Talent ID Camp. And yeah, so that was in 2018, June 2018. So yeah, <laughs> it has kind of been a whirlwind of kind of crazy coincidences finding the bike to start with and then kind of pursuing that passion and working hard once I kind of committed to that
1: that is so (laughs) cool talk about like speed of implementation on things too to go from I mean so many things to talk about but even just in that last piece because I didn't I didn't know that's how you got into going to Colorado and now chasing Olympic dreams and to me that understand like you going and taking a three-week span and just being like, I'm going to move across the country, settle into <laughs> yeah. something brand new, and then send it is so cool.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't quite – so I met him on this trip, and he sent out an email mostly to the cycling community in the Paralympics, and I had an invite to go to a talent ID camp. So it was just a week-long camp to see kind of where I was at with a few other athletes. And then after that, like – there really wasn't a set path. It was kind of scary. Like I just kind of given up everything and had no idea if it would actually come to fruition or not. But I'm really glad in
0: hindsight that I had the,
2: yeah, had the confidence that it would
0: work out. I don't know. Well, that makes it just that much more impressive to me that there's like a, like a component of risk involved. Right. It's <laughs> just like, I assumed it was just like, you're Paralympian, You're good. good go. We're right. Congratulations. Good. But it's not like that at all. Right. It's like, yeah, no, because it was, it was a long and...
2: bit of just, I, I was unsure, you know, so after that, it's just kind of establishing, as the name applies, like a talent pool, and so from there, it's kind of up to you how much you want it, how far you want to take it, and I was pretty serious about it, so I kind of stayed in touch with the national team coach, and she invited me to the last World Cup of the season in 2018, so she was basically offering like I would go as an independent so I wouldn't represent Team USA I would go fully self-funded and um, get classified there which is really important in Paralympic sport and then just see how I did and I was you know again like sure why not like so we'll see how I do and I showed up and took third in the road race so I made a podium which was huge and it was just kind of from there that the team took note and was like okay this girl's Got something here. We'll we'll invest in her, and I showed up to nationals at the end of the year and swept nationals and moved into the training center a month later. So it's just been like kind of a crazy road. Wow. There's and no it, pun intended. Oh snap. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> I got cactus. <captives> <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I love that. Where was that that you got qualified? That your first race that you went to?
2: Um, It was in the middle of nowhere, Canada, in a place called Bay Como, which is about eight hours northeast of Montreal. So you just follow the St. Lawrence up and it feels like you're going to the Arctic Circle. Like it is truly in the middle of nowhere, Um, but it's beautiful and the people there are super nice. Um, But yeah, it was definitely an experience to get there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, totally. And uh, we (laughs) talked a little bit before about what getting qualified means. What Do you mind elaborating a little bit on that for those that don't know, which was Jordan and I before our conversation?
2: And me before. Yeah, yeah. don't worry. <laughs> it's all new. Um So classification is kind of the way in which they try to ensure amongst Paralympians that you're competing on a level playing field. And so within each sport, they have their own system. Basically, it's how your impairment affects the sport that you're doing. So, for example, like my right leg is significantly weaker than my left. My right arm is pretty much non-functional except for my bicep and shoulder. Um and so you would submit all of your medical documentation and then you'll be seen by a, an international panel. So it feels like a, an in-depth physical therapy appointment where they're looking at you off the bike, looking to see where your weaknesses are, how your impairment affects the bike and then they'll watch you in competition. And so from there like for example, I'm on an upright bike. So I'm on just what you would consider a normal bike. I've modified it a little bit. Um, My right hand doesn't work, as I said. So I've had everything set up on the left. I have one lever that goes to both brakes. I have a splitter. And then I have electronic shifting that I've added one extra set of buttons. And I've just programmed it so that I can control both front and rear derailers with my left hand. Um, So there are kind of rules in which you know that govern how you can modify the bike, and the way I've done it is pretty, you know, standard for people who don't have the use of a hand. And then um, there are five classes within the upright bike. So five is least impaired, one is most impaired. And so I was classified as a C3. So I'm right in the middle of it, and it. You know, obviously matters quite a bit where you lie in the classification. Cause if your classes, like say I was classed as a C4, like the times would be quite a bit faster because people are less, less impaired. I was classed as a two and a lot slower just cause people are. And there are some injuries that are very like cut and dry. So, like a, an above the knee amputee is always a C2. So they're riding with one leg. They're always a C2. Below the knee amputee is a C4. An upper extremity impairment only is a C5. And so with nerve stuff like mine, it's definitely a lot more gray where you would lie. And so it's really important that you're presenting your case honestly and that medical examiners are doing their job. So yeah, that is kind of this big initial hurdle. And once you've been classified, you know where you're lying, where you're going to, where your goals are to compete against, you know, like that was huge. So getting classified was kind of the first thing. And then, Knowing that I was a C three, now I know okay, where my times need to be and who my competition is. And yeah, it's been crazy since August of twenty eighteen. Sticking off. Yeah.
1: That's incredible. And I love that there's so (laughs) many different capacities in which they level the playing field. Um, which is neat because like you said, now you know exactly who you're showing up against and you know like what times are going to be competitive and it gives you a lot more of a stimulus to train towards. Exactly.
2: Um, Yeah,
0: but also interesting too that there's like some subjectivity in there, right? Like like you were saying, like some gray area around kind of what the, the doctor or doctors who are evaluating the situation think.
2: Exactly. So you have to be seen a minimum of two times to be confirmed but even still, like, there are a lot of cases that, you know, with nerve damage, it just, you know, you can have a good day or a bad day. And, you know, with impairments like MS, for example, like, you could have somebody who doesn't really have a flare-up that day and shows up pretty well-functioning, and then another day where it's particularly bad, and they would be in a totally different class. And so it's just hard to, to find that level playing field at times. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was classified or confirmed after my second visit, and it was a pretty clear where I belong. So I'm fortunate for that. But yeah, <laughs> there's there are a lot of politics that go into it.
1: Oh, I can only imagine. What was the uh, the process like of outfitting the bike to your like specific needs? Was that super easy? Was that really challenging?
2: I would say so. I've had several iterations. So the first bike that I ever I had built, I was just unsure if I could ride at all, like, without my tricep, without my right hand, like, I was just terrified, and, like, I had gotten back on a bike post-injury, but nothing, like, I was going to go out for a long bike ride, you know, like, it was just kind of see if I could do it still, so my first bike, I just swapped the brakes, so I had the rear as my left, just because I didn't want to fly over the handlebars if I had to brake hard, and then I had a bar and shifter, so it was like the rear derailleur was controlled by this lever that was off of the right handlebar. And I would use my wrist. I would kind of hook it and use my wrist to shift my rear derailleur, which in hindsight, like it was such a hard move because every time I wanted to shift my rear derailleur, which is pretty frequently, I'd have to take my arm off of the handlebar. And that already is very unstable. And so every time like I'd have to kind of readjust. So once I got Pretty committed to road biking, I was like, "All right, I want to build myself like a sweet bike." So I went to a bike shop in Tacoma, and I was like, "What can you do for me?" Tacoma, Washington, where I went to school, and they're like, "Oh, we have a solution. Like, it's gonna be a sweet bike." So that was when I first got my electronic shifting set up. So I got this bike that had. Um, they did their first iteration was a synchro shift. I don't know if you've heard of that, where. Mm-hmm basically treats your entire gear system on a spectrum. So including your little chain ring, your big chain ring. So you only have one button that goes up or down and then it'll automatically decide if it's going to shift your chain ring as well. Oh, so there's kind of a threshold between like to avoid cross chaining. Yeah. I don't know if it's technical, but basically like I had that set up and I was like, Oh, this does not give me enough control over whether or not I'm going to be in the big chain ring or little chain ring. So I scrapped that setup and went and added an extra set of buttons. So I have what's called Climb Shifters, which is kind of a thing. I don't know. I've never really seen anybody able-bodied using it, but it was developed for a reason. So it's these little buttons that we've kind of hidden amongst my handlebar tape on my left side. And they just switch between the big and little chain ring. And so I just, like, use my middle finger and my ring finger and decide if I'm gonna use big chainring, little chainring, and then my normal rear derailleur is like
0: on the lever as
2: it would be on a normal road bike.
0: Just as an aside, yeah. like I feel like if I'm that bike mechanic, I'm like stoked, right? Like yeah. I'm like changing tubes all day. It's like <laughs> yeah. super boring. It's like oh, this is actually like really like interesting. and yeah. something to dive into.
2: I they were really excited about it, and they they worked super hard, and it's so now my boyfriend is. A very good mechanic and he we just finished this last iteration of like my road bike that i will race on at tokyo should i make the team um and that he just it's so cool to be able to provide input of like okay this works this doesn't so the, one of the most difficult things like the shifting is easy but the braking has been so hard because everything is switched to disc brakes now on road bikes And to be able to split the hydraulic fluid has been really challenging. So, like, if I want to do one lever to both brakes, like, you need a lot of pressure to force that much fluid to both. And so I was having – I, like, initially had my road bike and my time trial bike hydraulic disc. And there would be times I'd show up after travel, try to rebuild my bike, and just wouldn't have brakes. And so, like, it was just terrifying. And our team mechanics are just, like, this – nightmare of a girl showing up, <laughs> no brakes. So now we've done a system where we do mechanical discs. So we're just splitting a wire, which is a lot easier. But all of that has been really helpful to just kind of troubleshoot. I and mean, noah has been an angel helping me figure yeah. it all out. But yeah, it's crazy how, how much has gone into modifying bikes. And luckily track bikes don't have gears or brakes. So those are very easy. I ride a very normal track bike.
0: So this is actually one of the things I wanted to ask you about is, like, like what kind of cycling that we're talking about here, right? I know it's road bike, but it sounds like you're on a track bike, too. um, Yeah. Which is...
2: Uh, I do two seasons. So I do a road season and a track season. And track is on a velodrome which I actually had never seen before I got into this. So
0: I've been on a Melodrome exactly once. And it was terrifying. Oh,
2: yeah. I, like You look at it, and you're like, who the heck decides to ride on this thing? Uh,
0: and for yeah. that,
1: because I, I don't know, actually know what this is, but in my yeah. mind, I have pictured that huge wooden track that's at like... yeah. Pretty it's, pretty, it's
2: like a wall. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, fully. So, well, I mean, there are different sizes. Our standard competition size is 250 meters. It has to be indoors and wood surface. Okay. Um, But, for example, the one in Colorado Springs where the training center is, that is 333 meters, so it's longer. And it's concrete, so it's a bit grippier. Um, But, anyway, it's very banked. Like, depending on the length, it'll be steeper or not steep to account for how um, tight the turns are. So, the velodrome, yeah, you're on a bike with no gears, no brakes, so it's a fixie. And it's pretty scary. The first two times you get up there, like, you're, I mean, there's, like, a minimum speed you have to maintain, so you're not falling off of it. And you're looking down, like, it's quite angled.
0: (laughs) Amen. Looking down
2: a sheer wall, um, but yeah, so that's actually kind of my my strong suit at this point. Tra- track is what I've gravitated towards, but I'm hoping to to do well on both the road and track at Tokyo.
1: So cool. Uh, so <laughs> many questions on this track thing because I don't I know literally <laughs> nothing about this. So are yeah. you one? How long is the race? And two, are you alone sure. on the track?
2: Well, so there are different races. So for para, we only have, I guess we have four events, five medal possibilities, okay. um, which I can explain. But at the games, we would only have two events. So I'll just explain those. Those are just time trials. So you against the clock, you will not be mass starting. You're starting out of a start gate, um, much like a skiing gate or something you'd okay. see. Um, but... They're short. Track races are very short. They're, they sprint events. So at the games I'll do two, I would do the 500 meter, which is two laps because it's a 250 meter track. And that's just all out. Like how hard can you go for, it's roughly about 40 seconds. Um, and then I have a three kilometer pursuit. So that's 12 laps and you're, there are two competitors on the track at a time, but you start at opposite ends and you're like chasing each other. So if you're making up any ground, you're winning. Okay. So it's kind of, it's, it's really cool. I, I love the pursuit. So it's 12 laps. that's about four minutes-ish for my classification. And it's a really hard, it's like a mid-distance event for running. Like it's just a really hard four minutes of like going all out, a long sprint. Um, and then on off years that aren't the games, we have world championships and we also have a scratch race. So that would be all of your competitors starting in the track at once. So maybe 15 to 20 of us and 40 laps versus the finish wins. And it's a yeah. lot of tactics of trying to save your energy. So you're trying to draft off of the other people and you could potentially lap the field. It's such a short lap that you could take off, lap the field and then just sit in and win because you're a lap up on people. And oh, so there are a lot of tactics. Classical. of yeah, like, It's a game. Yeah. So that one's, that one's a brutal, it's about 15 minutes of just like, it's super sharp, like know when people are attacking and whose wheel to be on. And it gets really tight. Obviously, you only have so much track to use. So there's, you know, you have to sit high so you can anticipate people from below going out. It's just a lot. I'm still learning. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: so, so cool. I, uh, I mean, this doesn't probably relate much at all, but for years i got so into the tour de france that i would sit and watch every single stage and just learning about the like how the team works Mm -hmm. together and the different like tactics of like you know your people taking off in the mountains and like the people that are like you know how to best conserve your energy or simply getting into like the psychological games of like mouth breathing and looking like you're excessively smoked (laughs) so you like lure people on and then just like dropping them as a way as a tactic and like the when to take off to lead but still being able to not bonk too soon before the end like it's such a yeah it's such a game it's It's really neat
0: there's
2: so much strategy that goes into bike racing and so much of it is just experience that i don't quite have yet but i've really enjoyed learning and hopefully getting better.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So what's next for you?
2: Well, it's all kind of up in the air right now. We officially have the postponement dates. Um, So the Paralympics will be the week after the Able-Bodied Olympics uh, end. And that's in the same city. So that'll be Tokyo in 2020 or 2021, excuse me. And before that, we still have, quite an open schedule as of right now we have track world championships scheduled for next march in rio um but we just don't know what's going to happen and potentially we'd have a few races like hopefully nationals will be rescheduled from this spring to this fall so that would be another racing opportunity but yeah everything's still kind of up in the air
1: yeah
2: as with everything in the world (laughs) literally everything everything else Yeah.
1: yeah Thank you, pandemic. So, yeah. uh, one big question that I've, I've wanted to ask you, um, that you've had so many across that entire story that you said from, you know, when you were young to now, you've had so many reasons or times that you could have just said like, this is it, this is what my life is. And every single time, regardless of the scale, you always put your head down and just kept on persisting. And now you're doing things that so many people would wish that they had the ability to do, but can't. What was your mindset through all those?
2: Hmm. Um, I would say I was just so motivated to get back. I mean, I had grown up a gymnast, so I was doing like superhuman feats, you know, like I was doing things that people typically weren't. And so I was using my body, doing things like beyond its normal capabilities. And so I was so used to that. And by the time – you know, like once I got hurt and was trying to recover, like I just wanted so desperately to be back doing the things I loved. And that was exactly, yeah, what I was hoping for. I mean, I remember getting hurt. I was in the ICU in Maine and I was talking to the nurse. I'm like, yeah, I got states in a few weeks. Like, do you think I'll make it? And they're like, uh, <laughs> girl, <laughs> pass a reality check.
1: Check yourself. But
2: yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it going into the initial accident or like afterwards, my parents really did a good job trying to you know, almost like shelter the news that I was getting from doctors about how severe my condition was or potentially could be. And so I just never really believed that I would be you know, uh, in a chair for the rest of my life or not updoing the things I wanted to be doing. And so I was just so motivated to get back to that. And then once I had a taste, like I just wanted more, you know, like I just wanted to be competitive again and just active and doing things, you know. Maybe not the best set, but No, I
1: mean that's <laughs> that's right on. It I is spot that. on.
2: And then now like at this point, I would say I'm just so grateful to be like using my body as my like means. Of making a living, and I think that's really cool. And so every time I get on the bike, I'm like, "Wow, I get to, I get to do this for work, and this is, a, you know, like an amazing thing." Like I'm just so appreciative, and I just want to get stronger and take advantage of the recovery I've had, and just get stronger with what I, with what I have.
0: <laughs> there's this sort of not to get too philosophical, but there's this sort of uh, I think it's like I say an Edo Portal idea. But it's just this this idea of like you almost have like an obligation to move your body in the most uh, creative and greatest capacity that you can, because there are people who don't have that capacity. You know what I mean? So like that is use exactly it if you got it, that kind of
2: thing. Wow, that's really that's that's exactly how I feel. Like wow, I've been given this gift. I want to use it to the, the most that I can, yeah. greatest extent. Wow, that's a cool. <laughs> we'll have to talk more about that afterwards.
1: But. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> I like it. Uh, so one question that we always ask people, and, and now I'm really interested for this uh, for you, is what motivates you on a bad day? Mm. Do you have bad days? Because the smiley Claire Brown <laughs> um, I I'm know sorry. doesn't look That's like that. she ever has bad days. We never get people that, that uh, often, yeah. but it might yeah. be true. Have you ever had a bad day?
2: <laughs> yes, I have. Um, I do, of course. I have normal yeah. human emotions, but um, I try to stay really positive. I would say... motivates me is knowing that I mean in context of like my cycling career right now just knowing that I have competitors who are working really hard and they're probably having a good day and so just assuming that everyone else is getting faster and it's definitely shifted quite a bit where like with last year the start of my first season with the team I was definitely like bottom middle of the pack you know kind of Reaching for them, like their benchmark, my big competitors. And at this point, like after this season, I, I was kind of, the roles were kind of reversed. I set these big t- times for my competitors to reach. And now I'm like, I'm having a bad day. I've set the standard and I want to just push it so far that they can't even fathom reaching it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: oh, that gets me so <laughs> I, like, I just up. want
2: to mess some people up.
0: I, uh, <laughs> I just read the, David Goggin's book Yeah, uh, last weekend. He talks about taking souls. That's like the most metal thing ever. He's like <laughs> <I> <laughs> decimated mean, the competition.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. I just want to be working harder than everyone else. I would say that's my big motivation is like you can control how hard you're working and how much you're suffering. And I just want to be like, I want to finish every workout knowing that I put everything into it, Um, which is hard. Like sometimes I don't. Sometimes I don't take away the proper um, intention of the workout because I just push it too hard. And I've been working on that as well. But knowing when to give it truly 150% and knowing when to just fulfill what's been given.
1: Mike and I wouldn't know anything about that. (laughs) No. No. It's just every (laughs) single time possible, just go as hard as possible and then figure Uh, out the ramifications uh, after. (laughs)
2: uh, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Totally. I'm yeah.
2: currently in that ramifications period. Today's <laughs> a rest day and I just like destroyed myself yesterday.
0: Yeah, like, Knowing today was a rest day. power eating
2: ice cream kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> another question we'd like to ask folks. Uh, what's more important to you? Motivation or discipline?
2: Whoa. I would say motivation. Um, and that is just my gut reaction. I think Um, I think discipline can, you can kind of get tunnel visioned and you can be like, if you're so set in your ways and so disciplined in exactly how you do things and how you want them done, it can almost be um, a handicap where you would show up on a race day and maybe like the conditions aren't exactly how you trained or like exactly how you would envision them. And you could be doing yourself a disservice. And I think motivation where you have this, end goal and it's just you get there i, I think it motiv- like without having the internal motivation or potentially external but um you couldn't you couldn't reach what you're looking for i don't know am i putting I, that no i like that that's a
1: super interesting answer i really like that um mo- yeah i like that and i've never once thought of discipline as potentially a handicap. So I, I do yeah. like that the way I would just
2: out. say, like if you have the motivation to reach this goal, it doesn't necessarily matter to, which means all of the time, as long as you have the, the, the greater context in mind. Mm-hmm. Like for example, with um, like with food or something, like you have the motivation to be like training hard and fueling really well. You can have a beer every once in a while, but if you're so disciplined where you've like, cut off alcohol entirely or cut off your vice whatever it is like it's just not sustainable and I think when you have this inner motivation in mind of like okay is this our three beers gonna hurt me tomorrow for my training probably maybe I'll just have one yeah. like or whatever it may be like I just think you have to you have to be I don't know no, somewhat I-
1: yeah, I definitely appreciate that that take on that, because for me, I've always been a disciplined person in the sense of like, must hold the structure, but I've also been so structured and so disciplined, that like you just alluded to, like I've missed out on the yeah. big picture of a lot of things. So I really like that take. Um, so what is one thing you do every day with intent?
2: Wow. one thing
1: think about your gummy bears sponsor. I know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> prepare the snack bag <laughs> for my bike ride um i would say i mean i get on the bike pretty much every day and i would say like when i get on the saddle or like go out for a ride even if it's a recovery spin like i treat it yeah very intentionally like knowing it back to the motivation like what it what this particular ride or training period is going to do it contextually in the greater like scheme of my goals. Um, and I think it's really important. Like every time I get on the bike I'm like, all right, this is a one hour recovery spin. Like I need to be, um, taking it easy and letting my legs rest and just spin out and like have a, a mellow hour ride or like contrasted with, I'm going to go out and do like four by 10 minutes at, my hardest threshold I can on context of, you know, training language. But anyway, like you get on, you're like, I'm very intentionally like going to do this for my greater goal. Um, My other instinct was going to say like getting in bed and just like having a restful night of sleep, which I think is huge. Like taking that very seriously.
1: (laughs) The the two of us, the (laughs) two of us in most nights, take sleep very
0: seriously jordan obviously didn't sleep last night with his four by four by 24 but well, the, the other context to sleep for us anyways uh mike of course you have a little one yeah um and i've got one on the way any day so you know oh wow it, it makes me appreciate all those years i was intent intentional. is that a word uh, yeah. intentional rather about my sleep and And I will say, once
1: it gets bucked in the sense of, like, now the sleep is not just up to you, like, oh, I watched one more Netflix, like, now it's like, oh, we went to bed early, but Welly was up multiple times in the night like she was last night. It's one of those things where you do appreciate those routines of getting in bed and, like, seeing the value in sleep. It's amazing how a few nights of not great sleep, all of a sudden, like, there's a dark shade that comes over everything (laughs) in your
0: life. I feel like CrossFit needs to redo its like you know the pyramid yeah. that pyramid I always have where it's like the bottom is like nutrition, <laughs> nutrition. It should and be it. sleep. Yeah, it should be sleep. Oh,
2: it's huge. You you have to recover when you're pushing yourself so hard.
1: Should okay. we do some rapid fire? Let's questions? do let's do some rapid fire questions. Okay. Uh, and there's so Just many more things too I want to talk first about. First thing so that we'll comes to mind. On. So we have: Are you a morning person or a night person?
2: Night person.
0: Oh, I know the answer to this already, I think. Uh, okay. What is one food you can't live without?
2: I mean, gummy bears, gummy. potentially. <laughs> Oreos, you had, I don't know. If you
1: had to choose a second, what would it be?
2: Uh, or you can have
1: one meal for the rest of your life and that's it. What would it be?
2: Oh, um, I would be really sad if I didn't. Wow, shit, that's too hard. Shoot. <laughs> uh i'll just say pizza i love pizza man there you go
1: Any pizza. there you go i like it uh power song do you have a power song
2: oh wow it changes all the time i'm so into playlists but uh, uh there. two why didn't you warn me about this <laughs> okay what song.
1: what kind of music what genre on your playlists
2: Okay, I'm really into trashy pop, and I am no shame. Like, there's a reason why it's catchy and fast beats. Um,
1: and you did, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, I like to be able to sing, so I have like I have very specific playlists for like different workouts and stuff. Um, yeah,
1: I like that music's powerful.
2: Oh, a song by Jim Fox and Justin Timberlake
1: called "Winner."
2: That actually, that's gonna be my song. That's okay. what I'll say.
1: All right, I'll have to I'll have to look that up because I don't know if I know what that is. But I will for you check it out. I mean, you, it's from like out.
2: 2008. Okay. And it's actually kind of funny. It was playing a lot when I was um, going through rehab, and I would like sing it to myself, a little 12 year old, thinking that I was hard like Jamie Foxx. But
0: ooh. that makes
1: that's, a great. power. That does make a great awesome. power song. Claire Brown just won it's the good. power song for every yeah. podcast from gonna, we've had and going forward. I'm going to delete the question from <laughs> like, the West here. We're the done.
2: lyrics are very good. It's very motivating. Like he's like, You're looking at a winner. I'm like, Yeah, I'm a winner right now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I love that. Yeah, um, <laughs> do you have a favorite movement? Do you want
2: to define movement more? No. Is, it, is that just supposed to be negative?
0: Yeah, it's supposed to be kind of. Open to I mean, interpretation. could be bike,
1: could be ski, could be, like, a training movement, could be...
2: Oh, I was, like, initially thinking, like, stretch or
1: something. Backflip. Uh, could be, like, any gymnastic movement. It could be literally well,
2: anything. It in that I can't do any of that anymore, Michael. <laughs> <laughs>
1: hey, I remember being with you the first time you did a handstand post-accident. I don't know if you uh, remember that. We were downstairs in the hallway.
2: I do remember that. Was I using the pancake?
1: yeah
2: the thing that makes my hand flat okay um actually i would say handstand then i haven't done one of those in a little while um
1: yeah so sick i I like
2: that i I like handstands if i was gonna say my initial thought was like a hamstring stretch like just uh yeah my hamstrings always seem to be lit up so
1: and it always feels good uh favorite season summer winter winter. Photo. winter yeah yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna piggyback on that for one sec favorite place you've ever skied because you have some amazing photos Uh-oh. of skiing.
2: um i mean i do really love skiing at whitefish and yeah. that was a big motivation to live here and yeah i i really i love skiing here i'll say that
0: cool yeah i like it would you rather be uncomfortable or bored
2: Uncomfortable. All right. Yeah. Holy.
1: Uh, yeah, ditto. Yeah. Um, let's see. Do you have? Obviously, this is your favorite podcast. Do you have a second favorite podcast? <laughs> Are you into podcasts?
2: I do like podcasts, and I yeah. This would be first,
1: obviously. Obviously,
2: yeah. I um, I listen to Fresh Air. I listen. I like to get my news through podcasts often. Um. But then I also really, I got into Serial. I got really into um, Bagman, Rachel Maddow's podcast. I thought that was awesome. Um, (laughs) How I Built This.
1: Oh, that is cool. That is cool.
2: Um, Slow Burn was good. Yeah, I have a lot of, I'll go like down, deep down podcast holes and do like their whole series. I like Today Explained a lot too, because it's good for like 20 minute episode each day. That's
1: news. I was like the short news ones as yeah, well it too. It too.
2: Yeah, I don't often have an hour of time to sit and listen to a podcast. Yeah,
0: yeah, me either. Um Yeah, okay. sorry,
2: very ironic to say on a podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Except this one, let yeah. just assume. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah right? this
2: one, this one is definitely
0: worth if your time. It's your favorite sure. podcast, you listen to the whole thing. Right? <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> um, yeah. Do you prefer sauna or ice bath?
2: neither oh my gosh I don't uh I get so hot I do really poorly in heat lived in southern Utah for a summer and it was one of the worst periods of my life um and then ice baths I have like all of these lingering um like nerve pains and it, with cold like especially cold water it feels like um I think even more so than a typical person stabbed by ice. So I would say, like, I'll, I'll ice something, but I don't do ice baths.
1: That's a very yeah. legit Communist reason. Sissy. Yeah. Uh, so, one last question. Uh, if you could give the listeners one final piece of advice or like Clara's piece of advice to the world, Ooh. what would that be?
2: Is someone actually going to take this seriously? No. <laughs>
1: hey i might um, I might I, all of our listeners might
2: yeah, I would say like one of the most impactful things that I've taken away from like getting into Paralympic sport is like if you want to do something to an activity to really like there's a way to make it happen, and I was so intimidated by the bike initially not being able to control it or whatever, but there are ways you can modify activity like maybe you're not doing it exactly the way everybody else is but you're still able to get out there and enjoy it and I think that's huge um and not to be intimidated by that and people want to help Hmm. you know like you say and that's actually huge working with you I remember there were goals that I was setting and you would help me you know achieve them maybe not in the in the way that a typical person would but like okay get help get me there in some other way um or like rowing i can't really hold on to a handle but i've like found a system where i can like strap my hand to it but like if you want to do stuff there are ways to make it happen i think that's really important to think about
1: oh, perfect i love that it's oh, awesome clara just absolutely <laughs> oh. crush this and that's my the biggest thing like in listening to you in, in this past like hour of our conversation but also in knowing you through training like you just have immense durability in terms of just understanding like what you desire. And then even if it seems like you're met with setback after setback, like you just will take that setback, slide over and keep moving forward. And it's really neat and it's really inspiring. Um, and so thank you for, for well, your you. approach on life and sharing that with us as well.
2: well of course. Thanks for having me.
1: Anytime. I'm honored. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> well, anything you'd like to add? More coffee, please. More coffee. Get some You guys should
2: try out the Albanese gummy bears.
1: We will have (laughs) to. Done. I will definitely. (laughs) With your new sponsor, we're going to have to absolutely do that. (laughs) Semi-legit sponsor, too. Um, Well, thank you guys for tuning in to episode 17 of the Curiosity Game with Clara Brown. Thanks for listening. We love you guys.